and this is episode 24 of Tegan Goes Vegan. I am your host, Tegan Karuna. This week I have part two of the Veg Restaurant series. I have my interview with Kate Jacoby, who is the other half of the husband and wife team who own V Street and Veg and are highly acclaimed chefs and restaurateurs and make amazing, amazing food. When I went to interview them afterward, they were like, oh, let us feed you. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm not going to turn down a meal from veg. It's hard to get a table there. It's delicious food. So I sat at the bar and had some really wonderful drinks. Um, And actually, Kate and I, in this interview, talk about how she has taken over the bar, the whole bar service and and really refined it so that it reflects kind of the 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 flavors and the aesthetic of the restaurant as a whole. I also tried some of my well, I didn't try them. I had two of my favorite dishes. They have this beautiful seitan that is just like juicy and briny and 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 grilled and it's just really lovely. And then what they call a mud pie, but really seems to be two brownies or or three little brownie bites, but don't be deceived because they're extremely rich. Sitting on top of marshmallow that's been toasted on the plate with some kind of sauce. I don't remember. I was basically in a food coma by the end of it. I really overdid it by eating that whole dessert. But you know what? I I don't regret a thing. So this interview was actually recorded right after my interview with Rich, and they were both in the room together. So this interview references a lot of the, a lot of different parts of my interview with Rich. So if you haven't listened to that one, I suggest that you go back to episode 23, give that one a listen, and then listen to this one separate or next. um, And then it kind of will give you the whole flavor of what the, the whole conversation was. And I just wanted to thank everybody who reached out to me to let me know about what they use to listen to podcasts on their Androids. I'm going to be looking into if there's anything at all that I need to do or if those all kind of auto-populate using iTunes. I'm not entirely sure how the technology works in that regard. So I will look into it and make sure that everything is working out well. So that's enough of that. Let's get right to it. Here is Kate Jacoby. So, um, how long have you been in Philly? As a restaurant? No, you personally. How long have you lived here? Yeah. So, I grew up just like Rich in the suburbs of Philadelphia. We moved downtown like on Christmas Day of 2005, I want to say. So, we've been living in Center City for over 10 years now. Oh, wow. Crazy. That that is a long time to live in one neighborhood in Philadelphia. We did move our house once uh, about three years ago, three and a half years ago. But yeah, I mean, it's not far. We moved like a, a mile away. So yeah, <laughs> right. it's it's been like living in Center City, Philadelphia for over a dozen years. Yeah. Wow. That's, well, I mean, it's doesn't. kind of nice. You have, like we were saying, you have kind of have your little triangle and yeah. you 
that's where you are most of the time. It's amazing how many people really are just loving living in a city. And, you know, we have we have an eight-year-old, so we have a lot of, you know, friends who have children that maybe are around our son's age. And mm-hmm. to see how many people have chosen to stay in the city despite the school system, yeah. you know, and who've really been loving and thriving as, like, little small families, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, that that is definitely, like, I, I think all of my friends who have kids at this point live in the suburbs, mm-hmm. but I definitely see so many people with young children yep. who live here. It's it's cool because you're right, despite the school system, which is clearly atrocious, people are still staying and they're finding ways to make it work, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, we love that you can just walk everywhere mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, or there's decent public transportation that gets you around too. So yeah, I don't know. It's it, like it. Philadelphia is a great city for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And you can afford to live here. Like yeah. people can for afford now, to right? live here. Look, that's why I'm as far north as I am. I gotta hold on as long as possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, how long have you been vegan? So I, unlike Rich, I do have an anniversary date. (laughs) I started uh, officially. I went vegetarian. It was June sixth, nineteen ninety seven. Nope, maybe it was June seventh, nineteen ninety six. Okay, I kind of know. Early June. Um, Yeah, but it was between my junior and senior year of high school, and I started a five week program at Georgetown over the summer. And I said, you know what? I've been interested in doing this. I'm going to give it a shot. And five weeks was over, and I was like, that was easy. No problem. I'm going to keep at it. So wow. I actually have a little ID card from the first day of that program. I have to go find it. I can check the date. But the date it was issued, that was sort of like the, the big wow. day for me. So you went to this program at Georgetown mm-hmm. and decided at that point that that was when you were going to become vegetarian? Yeah, it was kind of like wow. my first true taste of independence, right? Because yeah. I never went to camp. So it was the first time I was living away. And I thought, oh, five weeks away, I'm going to do this vegetarian thing I've always thought about, see if it's possible. I'm not going to have to be you know, dependent on the rest of my family. I can do this. And it was easy. And when you came back, what was that like? Well, I've always been like kind of, I don't know, not assertive, but I'm very like, if I believe in something, like I'm going to stick to it. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back, I think my family was just like, okay, this is what she's committed to. And um, I love to cook, always have my whole life. So it didn't, it didn't do anything negative to my family that I was cooking for myself, cooking good food for them too. So they were happy to have me. <laughs> that's, that's good that they were willing to eat vegetarian food. Yeah. Yeah. My grandmother too, who lived with us, who was what I guess at that point she was in her like late seventies, and um, you know I was making her veggie hot dogs and stuff. She was into it. it was wow, cool. yeah. that's cool. It's it's interesting because a lot of people kind of have that rocky family relationship, but mm-hmm. there's a good chunk of people who really their families are very accepting yeah. and they're they're cool with it. And yeah, there's a coming out process I yeah. think for <laughs> vegetarians yeah. and vegans for sure. And I hear that. I think it all depends on the individual with you know how you're if if you're saying this is what I've decided you're going to get support. If you say this is what we have to do, I can't believe that you've like you know led me astray. And if you if you throw it like that, then people are going to be defensive and maybe not as supportive. Yeah, that that's been my experience. Is that when I talk about it as my own decision, mm-hmm. then it helps people feel less defensive. Yeah, they, they feel less like I'm attacking them for their choices. Yep, absolutely. Um, so you were vegetarian for how long? Well, um, I guess ever since then I've been vegetarian. Mm-hmm. So that's more than half my... I'm uh, 
36 now, so that's 20 years-ish. Um, but then I, when I went to college, just like a year or two after that, um, I started to understand that, you know, the vegetarian thing was one thing, but wow, like what's going on with eggs and cheese and all that. Right. So I, I very quickly transitioned to a vegan lifestyle. And that was obviously much harder because even then it was, it was a while ago. Um, but it was something that I really, again, was committed to. I thought, this is my ideal. And like Rich, I haven't been perfect about it over the years when we've traveled and whatnot. I um, definitely have not been super strict about it. Um but I've been able to sort of create what I'm very comfortable in and what's sustainable with our lifestyle, which is basically like vegan when we're here at home in our household. But if I'm going to family members for a holiday or if we're traveling and it's incredibly difficult, then we're a little bit more lax mm-hmm. about the vegetarian thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's. Sorry about the vegan thing. No, I, I, I know what you meant. Like <laughs> you'll you'll go to vegetarian, but it's not going any exactly. further than that. Yeah. 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 yeah it's. It is really fascinating to me all of the ways that people deal with that situation themselves. Mm-hmm. For me, when I go to my in-laws, it's that I'll prepare food that I wouldn't normally prepare at home, but I won't eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody yeah. finds what works perfectly for them or as what works well for them. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned travel. So what it, what does that mean? Are, are you interested in trying the food of wherever you are is is that kind of the driver there my mom will hear our stories of where we're going and she's like wait you guys never go to museums do you i'm like no mom (laughs) we're not doing that we we want to eat the food that's what we do i we always come back we're like oh my god how much do we eat (laughs) um but it's true we get to learn culture by food and drink and interacting with people in, you know, just kind of like people watching in restaurant environments mm-hmm. and food environments. Um, that is what does it for us. So we try to travel as much as we can to as many different places as possible. Um, and it really just inspires us. People say, oh, where do you come up with your ideas for food? And maybe it's a certain dish or maybe it's a spice blend or a cooking technique, but it totally impacts how we change the menus here. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's hugely important to be able to get not just go to China and have um, rice and bok choy and have that be it. Right. You know, we want to be able to delve in a little bit more. And it is a lot easier if you do your research ahead of time. So we've gotten pretty good at that. Right. So what type of research do you do before you go? Do you just like plan out everywhere you're going to go? So I do a lot more front of house side of things these days and I appreciate good service so much and I'm not talking like the super high end places per se but if you can find a little hotel that has somebody who is uh, known for good service go to them and then just explain your situation and they will be able to guide you. Mm. Even in the most murky vegan places in the world you will find something amazing and I I think that's the key is to find a relationship with somebody who's willing to help you out and just just you know take them up on it and talk to them and be friendly I'm sure yeah yeah say where can I go what markets can I go to what restaurants can I go to what is the signature dish where can I get it um you know, if that's another thing. Sometimes you won't be able to find a restaurant experience, but you'll be able to get a great market. We were in the middle of the Azores, like in the middle of the Atlantic mm-hmm. Ocean, and there was like nothing really around. We had, I think, fries. Who knows what they were? Yes. Fries, fries and beer. Um, but we. Found I mean, a that's great- not a terrible meal <laughs> once. It's true. It's true. Once, but not like every day for yeah. a week. <laughs> 
but we found a great market and we knew what we were getting into and we cooked for ourselves and we had great like piri piri hot sauce and we had great local wine and you know beautiful vegetables and you know we loved it so we made a good memory out of it so you mentioned that you do more front of the house stuff now mm-hmm. but that implies that you used to be in back of the house so when did you start cooking professionally well, I went to Rich in 2001, uh, back then, in Horizons Cafe, and I was looking for a summer job. And uh, I had only hosted at another restaurant. That was my only restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting hired as a host for the summer. And then a couple days into it, I saw them prepping in the kitchen, and I thought, oh, that would be so great if I could learn to cook this food, because it had been my favorite restaurant. Mm. Um, I loved it so much. And I would have done anything to learn how to cook there. So one day Rich was like, oh, you can prep. And I was like, that would be amazing. So I went in and prepped with the people in the kitchen. It was like the best day ever. Um, anyway, I I was like, I guess I was good at it. So um, I started having like regular prep hours and eventually when they needed someone on the line I was like I'll do it Mm -hmm. and I abandoned my graduate school program and sort of like went in and then it was like whatever was needed whether it was cooking on the line next to Rich or if it was more pastry production which I took over and then if we needed somebody on the floor I would bump to the floor and we'd fill the kitchen line so I've been kind of just that you can do it all yeah yeah, I guess I wash (laughs) dishes too it's great (laughs) that's that's funny my brother Um, started off in a restaurant as a dishwasher and has since moved into the line cook kind of situation. And and he has been texting me saying, I want to put vegan things on the menu. Good. What are some ideas? Nice. And so I send him like pictures from cookbooks. And I'm like, here's something that like you could do quickly under the radar with the things you already have. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to ask for anything. Totally. It's, It's funny how that kind of progression, you start kind of at a, you know, like the, the bottom of the ladder. You, yeah. know, you start off as a host and you then you know you get pulled into prep and then you move up and now you know, it's, it's not, your career it's all about timing in the restaurant industry when somebody because that will happen I don't care how fancy a restaurant is one day someone won't show up mm-hmm. and if you're the person who's in the room who's ready to <laughs> to take it on you will make it happen yeah yeah mm-hmm. so so you then kind of took over pastry was mm-hmm. that by necessity or were you drawn to that a bit of both I was on the line and I loved it I loved what I was learning about food um I am not a baker I hate measuring (laughs) I'm much more of like a cook you know Mm -hmm. um but I had baked all my life and I enjoyed it um and at the time right when I was like so enthusiastic like professional kitchen I love this uh the person who was making pastry was a little bit you know like kind of burned out I guess Mm -hmm. so I asked for a couple bits of direction she moved on I was happy to take on the position and then I was like obsessed with it and I was baking at home and trying new things and I still have my little journals with all the notes that I was keeping Um, but I was applying what I learned cooking with Rich about savory food and balancing flavors and then just kind of like putting those flavors onto more of you know a pastry platform. Um, so it was really just an exciting time. And I guess that's how I've taken my approach. It's never been about um, you know like real pastry technique for me. I'm always flavor first. Mm-hmm. So were you using? We, we'll definitely come back to the flavor stuff because you do really wonderful, beautiful desserts Thanks. here. Thanks. Um, 
Were you using dairy and eggs at that point? In no, baking? no, no, no. Okay, that was a no. It was fun. Well. Um, okay. back in that time. There was actually some. Um, we had like for coffee, we'd have a choice between soy milk or organic dairy milk. Okay. <laughs> um, well. At some point, I think when we moved downtown, we just went like full throttle vegan. Um, but no, the baking was entirely vegan back okay. then. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you never professionally baked with nope. animal products. No. That's really cool. Yeah. I would imagine that a lot of people have to learn how to make that switch. Yes, and then for, and they say for me, like, oh, that must be hard. And I'm like, well, I don't know any other way. Right. <laughs> I, just, I wouldn't know what to do with an egg. Sorry. <laughs> so that's another aspect of, of baking that is really interesting to me is the idea that we have that the baking is so scientific and that you, mm-hmm. you have to measure and that you mm-hmm. have eggs because they provide structure and they provide sure. moisture and, and all of that kind of stuff. But what I've found in vegan baking is that the only thing that really seems to make a difference at least in my home baking is a binder. Mm. And and things are more likely to fall apart. And so it's interesting to me that like that doesn't even have like that's not even part of your thought process because you just like don't you're not replacing eggs you're just the recipes just never had them to begin with yeah a great example is creme brulee um i knew a, a guy who worked with us was all intent on making you know veganizing everything and he would come up with the strangest solutions. Like he would be like, and I'm using nutritional yeast for this. And then I'm going to put a little bit of like tapioca starch in here. And then I'm going to use um, canola oil for that. And I'm like, what? My idea was always just take this, take the traditional recipe and then change as few things as possible. So while I say, I don't know what to do with an egg, I would think about what it does in a recipe. And that would be like you said, build the texture, add moisture, create some level of richness from the yolk. Think about what the egg white or the yolk does. So for a creme brulee custard, I'm thinking, well, what is the egg doing that's going to set it up and thicken it? So I decided, okay, I'm going to try a bit of agar and then a little bit of cornstarch. And I ended up developing a different technique for making custards, but the result is a very silky texture with a little bit of rise and a little bit of aeration. So, um, yeah, I, I have to sort of understand what the non-vegan ingredients are doing in the recipe, but then I figure out, like, okay, so I'm going to use this instead. And... How much experimentation does that, something like figuring out the creme brulee, like how long did you work on that? How many different iterations did you create? It's been a while. You know, once we kind of got that idea for custard and creme, you know, like creme brulee and whatnot, um, then you could sort of use that as a springboard for anything. I feel like I probably worked on it for maybe like fine-tuned it over the course of like two years Mm. and then sort of tweaked it into a lot of other variations Mm -hmm. yeah so when you're thinking about the flavors yeah what because you my experience here has been that there is a lot of savory elements in the desserts like how how do you come up with the ideas how do you test things out like where where does this stuff come from well um when we closed horizons um everyone's like what are you doing i said no don't don't worry we have a plan we were rebranding, to use such a trendy word, but we were rebranding as veg, which we were pitching as a vegetable restaurant. You know, getting back to what Rich was saying about it was very intentional. Um, we truly did want to be a vegetable restaurant and focus on the food as opposed to a vegan restaurant where you're focusing on the lifestyle. We wanted everyone to feel like they could come in here and not have to flash a vegan ID card right. to get through the door right. or the scanner. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, with a vegetable restaurant theme, I thought, well, I'm not saying everything's going to be a vegetable, but I feel like the desserts should be very fruit forward. They should be very ingredient driven as opposed to this is this style of cake. This is this style of pastry. Um, so, yeah, I guess my interest is not just in having like, ooh, strawberry this. Or, you know, I'm following the seasons just like we're doing in the kitchen, uh, like the savory kitchen. Um and, you know, really just trying to be creative throughout the year um, and keep it interesting. The other thing that people will say is, you know, you go to a restaurant, sometimes it feels very disjointed between your savory meal and when it comes time for dessert. It's like, oh, well, they brought them in from another place. Or, <laughs> I guess the pastry chef is gone before the chef gets in and they never see each other. Um, but Rich and I have that added benefit of, you know, doing everything together. So our palates are really tuned in. And what you have for you know, the first 75% of your meal really, truly complements the, the finish. Mm-hmm. And has that kind of blended into the the coffee and alcohol and the wine list and all of that kind of stuff? It seems like those, to me, are important parts of the dining experience that we don't often think about as being that important. And it, it seems like that yeah. Is a like a natural progression. Yeah, I think it's another thing. You might have a restaurant that has even more, you know, like trouble when you have a different beverage director who's not communicating. There's a cohesion here that we're really proud of because um, you know, my fingerprints are sort of all over the beverage program and I work with a very small team in our bar like keeping things to be, you know, within a certain mm, theme, I guess. You know, you you want to have, even down to our wine selection, being all natural wines and really having this sort of like tending to be a little bit more acidic and um, a little bit brighter wines, everything has to eat like a symphony. Like it's got to be beautiful. And yes, you have your, your main dishes. You have the, the savory menu that everyone's coming out to, to hear, you know, <laughs> to listen. Um, but all these other side notes are so important to really make the meal memorable and to feel like make the magic happen. So what, when you say the beverage program, I think that that's probably an unfamiliar term. What does that mean exactly? Well, I think mostly you think of it in terms of, you know, like your wine list, your beer and cocktail list. Uh, it would naturally extend into any mocktails or non-alcoholic beverages that you're offering. It would also include your coffee and tea service. It would include your after-dinner drinks. So really anything that's being poured right, for, <laughs> for your guests. Um and, you know, here in the state of Pennsylvania, there are a lot of BYOs. We started out as a BYO when we got a liquor license. I, I didn't was, realize that. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> um, so I very quickly learned a thing or two about wine, learned to tend bar, um, learned how to deal with the state system in, in Pennsylvania. Um, but having the food background that I did, I fell in love with wine because there was so much to taste and so much to think about. And then to pair. I mean, that's like my favorite thing in the world is to think about like pairing wines with food. It's just so much fun. Um, but also cocktails. You know, mixology is huge these days. So it's no longer just like, oh, here's your rum and coke or here's right. like scotch on the rocks. Like right. nowadays, that just won't do. You've got to really dazzle people and come up with something that is really imaginative, but also in the spirit of what you're doing at the restaurant. So when you say beverage program, you're looking to be able to complement you know, the food that you're serving in a way that, you know, is going to make it extra special. So how do you come up with cocktails? Because like you said, that's so very trendy right now. Like, how, what is the process for creating a unique cocktail? Sometimes I think it's like, uh, 
menu creation, it's sort of like sometimes it's a bad hair day. You know, some days you're just like, I don't have it. I just can't do anything today. And you just don't pressure yourself. I try to uh, pay attention when I'm feeling it. And I try to just like attack, you know, um, like I was working with some garbanzo water. Aquafaba. Yeah, Aquafaba. Um, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, this is amazing. So I was just like, I'm going to be at home in our home kitchen. I won't mm-hmm. see you for a day and a half. Um, making macaroons, making meringue, and then I was making pisco sours and whiskey sours. And I was like, this is the best thing Did ever. Did it work? Oh my uh, God, it does. Drinks? It's amazing. Really? Yeah, it's phenomenal. Oh. It's so great. Um, people are like, does it taste? Like? I'm like, no. I mean, does egg white taste like egg? I, you, it's just it's the mildest little right. bit of flavor, perhaps. But when you're mixing it with anything, it's really great. It's all about the texture. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it'll be like an ingredient or a technique, and then I just really want to kind of experiment with it. Other times I'm feeling seasonal changes. You know, it usually starts with Rich where he's sort of like, okay, um, I just heard that like ramps are coming in or something. And then I'm getting rhubarb. So I start looking at the dessert menu and then naturally we're like, oh, well, the cocktail list too. So I guess it comes in waves. Um, But ultimately it's funny as a pastry chef and like a person involved in beverage, I don't really like sweet stuff. It's it's so weird. Like I I do, but I also know how much sugar goes into stuff. (laughs) I'm like, oh God, don't do it. Um, no, I, I, I still do love dessert. I like need to have dessert to have the meal be full and complete. Um, but I'm also wary of how much sugar is going into stuff. So if I'm out tasting cocktails in other restaurants, I'm naturally like, Ooh, I don't want to drink that, that, that it's going to be, give me a hangover. So I, overall my, my approach to them is not to have too much sugar. Um, that's one, one thing that I'm always looking for. Like, so super fresh ingredients where you're going to taste things, not mask them. Always high quality, really good spirits. Um, and, uh, yeah, not, uh, not too sweet. I, and I appreciate that because there is nothing worse than a cocktail that drinks like ice cream. You know, it's Ugh, just like too, yeah, too much. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So do you have favorite menu items? Oh, Yeah. I do. I guess, you know, but when I eat somebody here at Veg and I give them the menu and they might say, what's your favorite? And I'm like, I'm the worst person to ask. I truly <laughs> love everything. I stand behind everything on that menu. But from time to time, I could say, okay, if I were you tonight right now and I had to make a decision, I could direct people. Um, so our wood roasted carrot right now is gorgeous. And it's been on the menu for a little while. We'll tweak it here and there. But that one is spectacular. And part of it is that, you know, we're, we're using these gorgeous carrots, but we don't peel them. So we kind of go through a couple phase process to get to get them roasted so that they're perfectly cooked through. You know, they're not limp, but they're not, you know, they kind of the knife glides right through them. Mm-hmm. Um, they are... Uh, held over wood chips to impart a lot of wood flavor so they're like got this great smoky flavor um they're charred on the char grill so they have beautiful char marks and then um you know when they're heated up to order because so much goes into prep during the day um you end up getting almost like this casing on the outside of the carrot the texture from the skin like just going through this whole process is delicious um I don't know. That's probably one of my favorites. And that you said that's been on the menu for a long time. Yeah. So yeah. clearly, that's a lot of people's favorites. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we tweak it again. Like we'll have something that we just don't want to let go of because we love it so much. But at the same time, we want to keep things fresh, keep our servers on their toes. So we'll make seasonal changes to it. So when you're looking at things that you want to keep versus new ideas like how do you balance kind of the consistency of the menu versus wanting to be creative and and moving along with the seasons 
Uh, well, we we change all the time. I mean, that's one thing that we are guilty of. We kill a lot of trees. I'll say that because we're always printing menus. It drives me crazy. <laughs> um, but that said, I mean, we really do. I'll say that this restaurant is really dynamic. You can't rest for a second. Like the people in our kitchen, I think they see it as a challenge. Like that's a, a hallmark of working here is that you've got to be ready for changes. And I think everyone takes a lot of pride in the fact that we just roll with it. Because from the moment you conceive an idea till you maybe take like one and a half shifts of testing and tweaking, maybe longer if it's something that's really daring. Um, but we push. And if, if we don't nail it, we we abandon it but it's it's amazing how much effort goes into every single detail like down to i'm talking like grains of salt like it's really very um intense and i think that's what rich was talking about the back and forth between veg and v street both places were super intense but there's this there's a we just have a larger menu here at veg and a, a larger team of people so like the intensity is doubled from what we're doing at v street um, how many people work here Front and back of house? Yeah, total. At Veg? Mm-hmm. Jesus. Uh, front and back of house, part-time, full-time, everybody, I think there's like 35, 36. It's a big crew-ish, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess it fluctuates all the time, too, because you have a little bit of a change in the staff from time to time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I guess we have about 20-ish at V Street, 22 maybe. Do people, uh, do staff move back and forth ever? We try not to have it happen. <laughs> it has happened, and it did happen when we first opened Um Kind of as a safety net, it was a really wonderful thing. And people just wanted to be involved. You know, we had some veg people who were like, I just want to be a part of it. Please let me do it like one night a week. Um, We try not to make it happen because, honestly, it just creates a little bit of a hassle for the schedulers. Yeah. (laughs) But it does happen from time to time. So I asked Rich the same question, but I I want to ask you, like, what is it like to have opened a restaurant and get so much attention for it? it? many years of being kind of in the spotlight in this in this vegan world of being the standard basically of mm. vegan fine dining like how what does that feel like it's so nice for you to say that i appreciate <laughs> thank you so much that's my perspective from the <laughs> outside you. of how you guys are um well you know having started out as a customer back in the day um i like I said, I loved the restaurant. It was magic to me. It was like the be-all, end-all. Just, I love this place with all my heart. And so when I started working there, I had full confidence of like anything we wanted to try to do, I would put my heart and soul into it and just let's take it as far as we can. Getting back to the whole vegan thing, I mean, when we look out on a Saturday night and see a restaurant that's packed with people who maybe they're 95% or not even vegetarian, um, it is so rewarding to think that people chose to come in here and, you know, little by little, I think we maybe are sending some people away with a new appreciation for what we're doing. And maybe some of them are going to change their outlook. And I don't know how much they're going to change their actual lifestyle or not. But um, I can say that I've heard so many people who are inspired by what we're doing, who are opening their own restaurants or mm-hmm. who have changed, you know, their lifestyle. Hearing those stories, it's so rewarding. Um so I focus, like Rich said, nose down. Like I'm out there talking to the customers who we, I've been seeing for 15 years, you know, and I don't feel like it's any different. There are some times when I'm like, oh, pinch yourself. Like, look, this is great. We're on the cover of Veg News. Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, that was a great day. Um, or we're going back to the James Beard Awards in early May because Rich, uh, once again, has been um, uh, he's a, a finalist 
Um, right. I got nominated in pastry, but I didn't I make it gonna, fine. I was going to say, I thought you were also <laughs> I'm trying, on that I'm list. Trying. Um, but I mean, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we're so proud um, of each other because we've seen this whole trajectory together. But, you know, on a daily basis, like there are those those highlights but on a daily basis like I'm out there with the regulars who I've been seeing for 15 years and I'm just like hey it's good to see you like what's good on the menu you know like let's (laughs) talk about it so yeah it's like what we talked about before we started like there is a just the hospitality like if you are that kind of person you just have it in you that you just want to be friendly like it's it's about there's some kind of internal drive to just make everybody comfortable and happy yeah and yeah and that's I think one of the reasons why I have always loved my experiences at both of your restaurants is is that you guys do wonderful service and amazing food thanks and I I mean clearly everyone's going to know how much I love your restaurants (laughs) by the time I'm done with um so um if you were going to recommend a book or a resource or something for somebody who wanted to learn more about vegan food, vegan cooking, or just some a book that has been meaningful for you or a resource that's been helpful for you as you grow as a chef and a restaurateur, what, what would you recommend? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp as Rich because when it comes to cookbooks, I don't really look to many recipes, but I can say that we had a pastry chef for a while who used to bring in um, two books. One was the Veganomicon, I think, mm-hmm. um, and she would every once in a while show me something from there that looked pretty interesting, and it looked extremely comprehensive, like there's a lot going on. Um, in that same category, there's a, another couple... Um, uh, Karen Page and Andrew Dornberg, and they have the ve- well, they had the ta- the flavor bible, but then they did the vegetarian flavor bible because they have gone vegetarian slash vegan. Mm-hmm. And if you want, I'm talking like a beautiful coffee table type of situation. It's a huh. gorgeous giant book, beautiful photography. Andrew did all the photos, from what I understand, um, incredibly comprehensive and really like kind of a scientific edge to it, like about flavor, like a culinary scientific mm-hmm. edge. Um, so I'd probably go to. To one of those. Oh, and I would also say that from a wine perspective, understanding vegan wine, um, I understand it from the natural wine lens. So I would recommend reading anything by Alice Firing. She is a huge proponent of natural wines. And, you know, if you're interested in food and you care about the ingredients and the provenance of your food, you're going to care maybe about where your wine is coming from and if there are any additives. It's amazing how tortured wine can be. So I would definitely pick up, like, one of her books and give it a shot. That's great. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Tegan Goes Vegan is found at TeganGoesVegan.com, on Twitter at TeganGoesVegan, on Pinterest at TeganGoesVegan. The show is produced by Tegan and Nathan Karuna, with music by Amanda D'Amato. If you enjoyed the show, please consider giving it a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps other people find the show more easily. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be back soon with more great vegan conversations.